you are an entrepreneur, a professional, a speaker, or a coach, and although you've come a long way, it's time for you to take it to the next level. We've got you. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. We'll help you use authority and influencer marketing to build your business stronger and faster by publishing a book. You'll hear from guests that are thought leaders in sales, marketing, networking, communication, social media, promotion, and business leadership. Let's do it. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. And now your host, the extraordinary word ninja, Kim Thompson Pinder. Welcome to the Author to Authority podcast. I'm your host, Kim Thompson Pinder, and I am so happy to have with me today, Catherine Woods. Now, we are both part of a group called Speakers Playhouse, where you get to every week, go on a Zoom meeting, and it does two things. If people are looking for guests for the show, they can advertise that, or if you want to be a guest on people's show. And so this has been a great experience. And that's where I met Catherine. And she contacted me because she has valuable information to share with us today about a communication. So Catherine is a recovered shy person who's turned to communication confidence. And she is a speaking coach. She combines the lessons she learned on her personal journey to overcome a painful childhood shyness. And she now has 20 years experience as a speech language pathologist. And she's created a unique process that can help anyone find their voice. And she's worked with clients all over the world, including, you know, TEDx speakers. And she believes that everyone, no matter how shy, can learn to feel calm, confident, and in control. And who doesn't want to feel that when they're speaking? And so this is whether you're speaking from stage, you're leading a a meeting, or just even having that challenging one-on-one conversation. So welcome to the show, Catherine. Thank you, Kim. I'm so excited to be here with you today. And you and I have already been talking about these things and really diving into them. So I think we're going to go deep on this today. I think so too. And I'm really looking forward to it. One of the things that we talked about just before recording this podcast is using your voice as an authority in your niche or niche, depends which country you're from. And how do you do that? It's very easy to be confident within yourself and still lack confidence in your voice and how you speak. A lot of it has to do with language patterns and habits of speaking that we learned as a child. I was a teenager in the 80s. I spent a lot of time saying like, like, like. My daughter does it now. I'm I'm still trying to get her out of that. But that was a learned habit because that's what everybody else was doing. That's how you spoke in the 80s. It's like gag me with a spoon. Learned habit. I remember. (laughs) But today I know Catherine's going to be here to, to teach us about how to break some of those habits and how to speak confidently. So Catherine, first of all, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and about your story and how this all came to be? Thank you, Kim. Well, as you mentioned, I am a recovered or recovering shy person, depending on how you look at it. And I was the most 
painfully shy child you could ever imagine. I am an extrovert. So I was an extrovert trapped in a shy person's life, which I think Mm. is ultimately what had me have the momentum or the motivation to overcome shyness. And I got my information through reading. So I became this kid who read self-help books at probably age 11 or 12 in order to pull myself out of shyness. I'm not kidding. And so I learned how to do this for myself before I ever helped a client with it. And it was a journey, you know, that was progressive over many years. But the interesting thing is with relationship to the authority and the voice is that when I started my business, Confident Communications in 2016, what I realized is that even though I had overcome shyness a long time ago and had been working as a speech pathologist for many, many years at that point, that my voice quality still sounded a lot like that shy girl. Mm. So I was a little more breathy and quiet and I really knew my stuff. I had been a speech pathologist for 20 years, but my voice and how I spoke didn't convey that I was a person who was an expert and had authority. And that's one of the biggest mistakes people make is they have these speaking and voice pitfalls that they may or may not be aware of, and they undermine our authority when we Mm. speak, even though we are someone really worth listening to. A lot of times it's the people who speak with confidence and maybe don't even have the depth or breadth of knowledge and expertise that we do, but they'll be the ones to get recognized for their expertise because they claim it with their voice. And what I know, because I did it for myself, is that not only can you overcome shyness, but you can make some healthy shifts in your voice and how you speak that have others sit up and take notice when you talk. Catherine, that is so true. I think about, you know, part of my journey, and I was always an extrovert, but because I had been hurt so often, I was an extrovert who wanted to be invisible. Actually, there was two sides of me. There was a side of me that wanted to be invisible because I just didn't want to be hurt anymore. Every time I put myself out there, it was like someone slapped me back down as a child. And yet I felt like I had this, I had something that I wanted to give to the world. So I had two sides of me that were constantly battling with each other. Now, usually the side, the invisible side won. Or if I started to branch out, I would sabotage myself. And it's only been in, you know, the last five years. I mean, I'm 51. I've already lived quite a bit of life, but really been in the last five years that I've learned to have my voice. I've learned to speak. And I think one thing that's important that a lot of people don't talk about is I've learned to not care about the haters. There there are people that I am not their cup of tea. And you know what? I'm okay with it because if I'm not their cup of tea, they're probably not mine either. And I've learned to be okay with that. I've learned to be okay with the fact that not everyone is going to appreciate me, appreciate my voice or appreciate my message. But on the other hand, and this is where I place my focus There are people who need to hear my voice. There are people who need to hear my message. There's people who need to have my expertise in their life to accomplish the goals that they want to accomplish. 
So I don't focus on the haters. I don't focus on the people who I'm not the cup of tea. I focus on the people who are. Absolutely. I had a friend that once said to me, and it shocked me at first, but the more I thought about it, it made sense. She said, you want to have a message that either repels or magnetizes people instantly. And I really kind of hung on to the repel part that <laughs> I don't want to repel people. Nobody really wants to repel people, but we can spend a lot of our time with people, wasting our time with people who are kind of meh about mm -hmm. us and our message and we'll never do anything. We'll never work with us. We'll never really be persuaded by us. So I would much rather put out a point of view that instantly attracts people that it's meant for yes. and the rest of them just sort of go away. I don't necessarily want to repel them. But I don't necessarily want to spend time with them either yeah. because ultimately time is better spent with people who were meant to have an impact with them. And it's not that you don't care about them as a person, right? But in terms of your business, in terms of making that the most impact you can, any business only has a limited amount of ability to affect change. Now, as your business grows, your ability to affect change grows. But if you're a solopreneur, you can only affect so much change in so many people's lives. So why waste time on people who are never going to benefit from your knowledge anyway? Yes. And here's the thing. I realized this when I was in a networking group a few years ago. And what I noticed is the people who tried to appeal to everybody, it was like, okay, that's nice. They but to no they one. didn't connect with anyone. So by really niching down and and talking to who your ideal client is, or maybe it's not a client, maybe you're a nonprofit, maybe you have a passion project. By talking to the people who are really in the center of your lane, and if other people come to you, that's fine. But by talking to those people in the center of your lane and narrowing your niche, it allows those who really want to hear your message, who are hungry and thirsty for it, to really identify that very quickly. And other people will be attracted too. The big pitfall, I think, is trying to appeal so broadly that nobody really tunes into your message. Because yes. we are not Coca-Cola or Nike. We don't have millions and billions of dollars in ad budgets to appeal to all these different markets individually. We have yes. to go with what our heart is and who we really want to serve and who we want to speak to. So Catherine, I know you came today prepared to teach us on some pitfalls and some things that we can do to improve our voice, improve our message, improve our confidence. And so I'm going to let you go loose to speak for a bit and then we'll talk about it. Great. So one of the things that I learned in my time as a speech pathologist for 20 years, which is not exactly what I am anymore. Technically I am, but I'm a communication and voice coach. So I'm very careful when I work with people to say, this isn't speech pathology where this is communication and, and speaking coaching. But that aside, one of the things I learned in the 20 plus years that I was a speech pathologist practicing is that the breath, is the absolute essential foundation for having a healthy speaking voice that is appealing and attractive to people. And if you're not in control of your breath, your breath will be in control of you. What I mean by that is we were all born 
breathing from our diaphragms. If you watch a baby breathe, they're breathing from their belly below their rib cage. However, through no fault of our own, from the time we're about five or six years old and we're sent to school, what do they make us do? Sit at a desk most of the day, usually hunched over a book, a paper, or nowadays a device. And what that does is it creates this posture that's like this, where we're constantly, chronically, most of the day, leaning slightly forward. The problem with that is that when our posture is not aligned the way our bodies were built to be aligned, then the breathing sort of falls apart with it because we change how our skeleton is oriented and our muscles and bones are, are working together. And it becomes very difficult to do this diaphragm breathing. And frankly, very difficult to activate the diaphragm when you're in a sitting position. You can learn to do it again. I teach my clients to do it. I've learned to do it. And I'll still catch myself breathing from up here like this from time to time. The problem with this upper chest breathing, if you watch my collarbone, my chest, my shoulder blades, even this upper chest breathing was designed to be our fight or flight breathing pattern. Mm. It was meant to get us quick gulps of air in an emergency so we can fight or flee from a predator. And when we do this breathing, our bodies talk to our brains just the way our brains tell our bodies things. And what our body tells our brain when we're in this upper chest fight or flight breathing pattern is it says, you're under attack, you're under stress. And our brain responds by releasing stress hormones like adrenaline and cortisol. This triggers our sympathetic nervous system, which is the part that makes us nervous and anxious. What we want to do is be using our diaphragm breathing, which triggers what's called the parasympathetic nervous system, which is what calms us. It's what state we're in when we're meditating, when we're relaxing. And while release of stress hormones that happens with stress breathing is supremely helpful when we're actually under attack, we need that adrenaline or the cortisol to run away from the bear when we were a caveman. When you're stepping on a stage, on a podcast, having a sales conversation, having a challenging one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone, the last thing in the world that you want is to have stress hormones flooding your body. Yes. You don't need them. Well, when, when you think about it, you know, when you're in that fight or flight, you don't take time to think, you react. True. And when, like I said, when you're having that challenging conversation, one thing I've learned with my husband is... We've learned not to have those challenging conversations where we're in the middle of the emotional thing because our body is in fight or flight and we say stupid things to each other, right? The other, Absolutely. The other thing is, is I lead choirs at our church and before we perform, like we'll, we'll do our normal warm up, but right before we perform, do you know what I get everyone to do? I'm guessing it's breathe. Yeah. Before we walk out on that stage. I have everyone take about five or six good deep breaths. They're nervous. You can see the adrenaline going through their system. And it's like, yeah, let's just bring it down. Even when I work with kids, usually when I work with kids, it's a little bit different though, because they're so hyper. So I'll have them about a half an hour before they perform. I let them run for about 15, 20 minutes, just straight out run, tag, race each other. I don't care what you do. Just run 15, 20 minutes because you, you got to wear off that energy off of them, right? 
Yes. But then it's calm. Now it's time we, we calm down before we go on stage. I have them coloring, doing different things. And we walk up on stage and they perform. Yes. And what you're doing by having them do that movement before, you are actually having them use up their stress hormones that are in their body. Because even if they're excited and not stressed, physiologically, it's, it's very similar, if not the same. We still have those things coursing through our body. Mm-hmm. Which is why it's also so helpful if you're a speaker and you have this nervous energy to get around and circulate around the room, do a little dance, move around. You need to use up those stress hormones that are in your body to the extent that they're there Mm -hmm. so that you can use your calm breathing patterns to ground yourself. This is not about being boring. This is about creating a grounded enthusiasm rather than a nervous anxiety that for a lot of people, particularly women, but not exclusively women, can look like, oh, I'm I'm getting all squeaky. My voice is resonating up high in my throat and all the muscles in my throat are tight and now I'm gonna talk like this. And that's one of the biggest pitfalls that can undermine our authority when we speak. You can be a perfectly competent person in your field, really the expert, but you can become the best kept secret in your industry if you don't speak with authority. I think people don't realize that you have to not only prepare your mind to speak, you have to prepare your heart to speak. You have to prepare your body to speak. Cause like you said, you go up on that stage, you're high, you're squeaky, everything's tight. Everything's tensed. You're not relaxed. One of the things that, that we do is I tell everybody, put your shoulders down, shake your hands out, right? Because you can see it. They're up like this. Everything is tight and tense. It's like, okay, deep breath, put your arms down, uncross them, shake those hands out, get relaxed before you speak. Right. And it's a no brainer. If you think about it, this, this is one of the things I have and I'll offer it later, but in my whole body speaking and voice warmups, one of the steps is to relax your shoulders away from your ears and gently without force, roll them back Mm -hmm. because force is the enemy of muscle relaxation. Mm -hmm. You don't want to force yourself into this posture, but just relaxing because if you're up like this, think about that tension that's in your throat. Well, that's where your vocal instrument is. If you want your vocal instrument to sound relaxed, you can't be like this. Well, even think of it like a string instrument. You know, if you've got that, that string too loose or too tight, it's not going to sound good. And it's like with your vocal cords, you know, if they're, if they're not relaxed. A hundred percent. And speakers, whether we're a speaker on a stage, whether we speak because we're in sales, whether we speak because you're a teacher, it doesn't matter if you use your voice heavily. If you can't do your job effectively when your voice is out, you are a professional speaker. You're a vocal athlete. And think about an athlete who runs a marathon. They would no sooner get up and run without having stretched out and warmed up than they would do anything. You know, it just isn't done. And yet as a vocal athlete, we don't tend to recognize that that's what we are and that we need to warm up and prepare our voice, not because we need to sound perfect, but because we need to relax into it. We need to optimize the function of our body so that we can speak at a high level. There's nothing wrong 
with how you speak. You don't need to change, but what you do really want to do is perform at an optimal level because people who are out public speaking, authors, podcasters, we're using our voice at a very high level. Yes. It's not just like we're in these average day-to-day interactions. We're really doing something that most of the population doesn't do. And so it requires a little bit more of us in order to get the results that we'd like to get Mm -hmm. and impact the lives that we want to impact. Yeah. You know, it was funny if three weeks ago, actually today, I had to have a medical procedure and they put me out and they intubated me and I've never been under general anesthesia before. So that was the Tuesday, our choir, I had to sing and lead a performance on Sunday. So God has a really funny sense of timing and things. Yes. But anyway, so I came out of the procedure and they told me they had intubated me and I hadn't really thought about it until you know, a few hours later into the next day. And I realized my voice was not in good shape because of course they have to stretch everything out to get that tube down. And I was like, okay, I've got to sing on Sunday. And right now I'm in no place I can sing. So, you know, one of the other things that I was thinking about too, um, you know, in terms of talking to you is when do you rest your voice? See, what I did was I rested my voice. I did not, I barely spoke from Tuesday. I had to speak a little bit Friday. We did dress rehearsal on Saturday. So I didn't sing too much. We just kept it short and sweet. So I basically, I didn't speak for like five days to give my voice the time it needed to rest. And I think that's something else that's important too. You know, if you're coming off of of COVID or a cold or a sickness, you know, or strep throat or any of those things, and you're going to have to be speaking or performing, one of the things you have to do is rest that voice because you can overuse it. Absolutely. And that can look different ways for different people because not everybody would have the luxury of completely resting their voice. We have jobs, we have families, but there are a lot of things that you can do to take some of the load off your voice. One of them, for example, is not shouting to family members in other rooms of the house. I know as a mom, you yep. know, raise your hand if you've ever done this because you don't want to walk upstairs. This is where calling people, texting people, even within your own house can be really helpful rather than lazy. It's like, you know, take the load off your voice. Instead of trying to talk over the TV or the music, mute it first. Yeah. It's just simple things like that. And yes, to the extent that you can, rest your voice. But here's one thing, resting your voice also means not speaking when you're running out of air. Yeah. So if you think about breath powering your voice, the way gas powers a car's engine, and I'm going to do this as we talk, this is a bad habit. I'm letting my air run out and I really need another breath, but I'm letting it keep going and I can still get voice out, but I don't know if you can hear the subtle stress that's now in my voice as I'm pushing. That's the kind of thing that you want to avoid in general all the time, but particularly when your voice is recovering, you want to be sure that you're not forcing your vocal cords together, slamming them together under tension, creating friction and irritation in your voice on your actual vocal cords. And the way you do that is by pausing to breathe more often. So breathing from your diaphragm, which can be easier said than done. And I can give you some guidance on that, but pausing to breathe because you can have the best breathing patterns in the world in terms of I'm my posture is great. I breathe from my diaphragm, 
But if you don't pause to allow yourself to take a breath before you start to run out of air, you're creating constant friction and irritation in your vocal cords. And, and we talked about this before. So let's let's explore pause a little bit more. And that will be our last segment before we kind of head out. But you and I also talked about the fact that when you are speaking, it is okay to pause. There's times you need to pause. And one of the things I've learned is, is when I do not know what I want to say next, I pause for that second. We tend to use filler words, you know, mm, uh, uh, like so, or uh, and all those types of things. And I've learned that the pause is okay. You can pause for that second or two. Let your brain and your mouth catch up with each other. You're talking my language. That's 100%. As a speech pathologist, I can tell you that what happens many of the time, it's not the only reason for filler words, but many of the times that we use filler words, it's because our mouth is going faster than our brain can supply it with language and words. And so we get to the end of what our brain, the message that our brain has sent to our mouth and our mouth is still moving. So we say, uh, um, like, you know, because our brain hasn't filled anything of substance in. And what this does is it diminishes the power of what you're saying. It's distracting and it takes away from the opportunity for you to have a pause and refresh your breath. And this is really important. Allow your listeners to process what you're saying before you move on to the next thought. The best way to think about this, my rule of thumb is anytime you would see a punctuation mark, if your comments were in writing, that's the juncture of one thought to the next. It makes it a golden opportunity for you to pause, get a breath and allow your listeners not just to understand the words, but to relate them to themselves and to really think about how to add context to that, how it's meaningful to them. That's a way to have real impact. And I like to look at it that way rather than eliminating filler words. I know we talked about Toastmasters and in Toastmasters, they have counting filler words. And I think it's great to be aware of this. I really get a little nervous, though I must admit, when people become so focused on filler words that I think it can become like a self-fulfilling prophecy. What I really like to have people do rather than focus on the negative habit of the filler word, I like to have them focus instead on establishing the positive habit of pause where you would see a comma or a period if your comments were in writing. Because a lot of the times, if you put that pause in, most of those filler words will start to fall away. Yeah. For some people where it's really an ingrained habit, it might be a little more challenging. But even just consciously pausing and breathing and saying to yourself, breathe, can be a substitute mm-hmm. for the filler word. So that rather than focusing on, I'm going to stop filler words, I'm focusing on what I'm doing instead. Mm-hmm. And to me, the goal is not 100% free of filler words. Yeah. It's, I want to be free of having them be a distraction. Yeah. As minimal as they are is best, but I hate to have people mentally take themselves out of the game by focusing so much on that, that they're not connecting with the people they're supposed to be communicating with. Because the point of communication is connection, not perfection. 
So we really need to focus on connecting with our listeners. And by the way, there's another great opportunity in the pause. That's when I check in, whether it's a one-on-one conversation or you're speaking to a large group, that's when I check in with my listeners. I look at their faces. Yes. Are they with me? Do they think this is funny? Do they have a puzzled look on their face? Did I maybe go over something too fast? Does someone have something that they have a burning desire to say right that moment? And could I pause to allow them to do that? True. One thing I I like about our particular Toastmasters Club is we do count our filler words, but it's not per person. It's by the whole group. So no single person gets singled out for it. But as a group, you know, what were the ones, our particular group, the one we've been working on is using the word. So a lot of the other ones we've managed to really get rid of and use other techniques, but that one just seems, and we're like, we've almost made it a contest. It's almost like if we go one meeting without it, there's going to be like this huge reward. (laughs) So we've made it a little bit fun. So it's not, you know, for us, we've tried to turn the negative into a positive. And I think awareness is key. And I think that's where that comes in is the awareness that it's happening. But our focus isn't, okay, you said a filler word, you know, bad, 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 bad. It's like, okay, let's have a contest and to see how many we can eliminate. And we have fun with it, right? So we don't make it a, we don't make it a a stressful, you know, you're bad type thing. It's like, okay, let's make this a contest and, and do it. Like, I remember when I was a teenager, Uh, I used to swear. Now, of course, I never swore at home because my dad would take a bar of soap to my mouth. He almost did one day and I learned the lesson there. But, you know, when I was around my friends and all that, and I decided that I just didn't want to do that anymore. I had my best friend help me. So she became my accountability partner, except for she wouldn't do it unless I paid her. So this was back in the 80s. So every time I said a bad word, I had to give her 25 cents. Now, nowadays, 25 cents, oh, that's nothing. But, you know, when you're only making 2 to $3 an hour working a part-time job, 25 cents is a lot of money. Well, very quickly, I got tired of paying her money, and I learned not to say those words. True, true. And I do think the awareness aspect is really important because the first step to shifting something into a more constructive habit is you have to have the awareness of it. Yes. What I hate is when a client or someone comes to me and they're beating themselves up over it. Yes, and that's it's the good. only thing they focus on. They get out of saying something and they might have said something really powerful and they say, but I said like four times or I said this too much. And I don't like that to be the focus. No. But I do think it's an important thing to have an awareness of and then like I said, establish those habits. And you said, so is the one you're working on. One that I find myself having to watch for is actually, it's not always the traditional, uh, um, like, and you know, I had a friend who was in Toastmasters and his was accordingly. So it could be any word that you use as a crutch. But if you think about it, every single time that you're using that word, It's at the juncture where you really should have paused because it's at a punctuation. It's what you say in the juncture from one thought to the next. Sort of like the end of the paragraph to the next paragraph. Yes. But even just where a comma would be leading to the next phrase, it's micro like that too. And so if you simply pause 
and let it breathe and let it sink in for people. You and I had talked about this before the interview. There are so many humorous moments and really mic drop moments that get lost and glossed over completely when people are speaking because their listener never has a chance to absorb it before they're on to catching up to you on your next thought. See, when we're speaking, we know what we're saying. We've already processed it. We've already absorbed it. So it strikes us as though we're speaking at the perfect rate many times. But our listeners have never heard this before in a lot of cases. So it's really important to give them the pauses to not just understand the words coming out of your mouth, but think how those words apply to them. Think of the mm -hmm. context in their lives. Think of how they might like to apply or implement what you've just told them. Think about a time in their life where the experience you're talking about or the feeling you're talking about has applied to them. That's how we create the connection that makes our speaking powerful. So, Catherine, we are out of time. I think you and I could keep talking for a lot longer, but we are out of time for this episode. Catherine, please tell us if people have heard this and they want to connect with you, you know, do you have something that you, you give away or how can people, you know, connect with you to learn more about you and what you do? Well, first, thank you, Kim, for having me on. I've so enjoyed the conversation. We could go on forever. And yes, you can go to my website which is www.confidentcommunications with an S on the end, dot net, not dot com. Or you can also email me if you want to get in touch with me directly at Catherine, and I'll type this in the chat, Catherine at confidentcommunications.net. And I do offer a complimentary communication clarity call if you want to learn how your communication habits are impacting your performance, how they can be optimized. We can have a conversation about that. And one of the things I teach is, okay, we've talked about this breathing and the posture. How do you actually shift those habits for yourself? Because knowing you should do something is very different than knowing how to change those habits True. in your life. And I am also on LinkedIn, Catherine Woods, Confident Communications, and Facebook, Catherine David Woods. So I would love to hear from you. And like I said, I do have a freebie whole body speaking and voice warmups mm -hmm. that are on my website. They pop up first thing. So I promise not to spam you. I only give just valuable content. And at this point, it's just the one email, although I'm ramping up to start having some other goodies ready for my mailing list. That is awesome, Catherine. And, you know, if you want to get a hold of Catherine, both uh, her website and her email address are in the show notes. So thank you so much, Catherine, for joining us today. This has been an amazing conversation. This has been Catherine Woods and Kim Thompson Pinder on the Author to Authority podcast. If you've really enjoyed this episode, could I ask a favor of you? I work really hard to bring in top vetted experts for you guys to learn from. And I would really appreciate it if you've enjoyed this episode can you share it out? Can you let people know about it? Can you post about it on social media and talk about the things you've learned? That would just be an amazing thank you to me. You can find me on Facebook. You can tag me at Kim Thompson Pinder. I'm the only Kim Thompson Pinder on Facebook. So easy to find. You'll either find my personal or my page. You can find me on LinkedIn under Word Ninja Kim. So just tag me. I would love to hear about it. So thank you so much for joining us today, and we will see you on the very next episode.
Bye now. You've been listening to the author to authority podcast. The extraordinary word ninja, Kim Thompson Pinder, has helped over 200 entrepreneurs, professionals, speakers, and coaches write and publish their books that have become incredible marketing tools for their business. And many of those have gone on to become Amazon best-selling authors and have used their books to land high-level clients and get on big stages. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit the website at www.author2authoritypodcast.com. See you next time.